you know, all these metrics and so on, they're really, really good. It's good to measure what you're doing and so on. But if it's rock and roll, you can smell it. Hi, this is the Bring a Brick podcast, interviewing professionals from around the world who use improvisation in their work and in their life. I'm your host, John Cooper. My guest this show is Adam Lawrence. Adam is a customer experience consultant with a background in stand-up comedy and psychology. There's a combination. He uses improv theatre techniques to drive design and innovation and is the co-initiator of the world's largest global service jam, which we'll find out more about in a minute. Hi, Adam. Thanks for coming Hi, on the show. Hi, Thanks for having me. My pleasure, my me. pleasure. It's lovely. Uh, how how are things? You are in Nuremberg in Germany. How is Germany? That's right. I'm, I'm a British guy. I moved down here about 24 years ago now, so I'm pretty Central European now. Yeah. Nuremberg's a lovely town. We're pretty close to Prague or Milan or places like that, so it's a great place to live. Yeah. Is, was it your work that took you out there? Um, no, actually. I sort of had a bit of a sort of young burnout, I guess, and uh, decided to sort of change everything. Okay. I had a girlfriend over here. Um, I've been working in marketing and, so, and uh, developing products um, in, in Reading near, near London, which is a great job, and I hated it, so I thought, it's not, it's not the job, must be me. Right. So I better do a reset, and uh, I came over here and literally swept floors, washed dishes, um, learned some German, and started doing, um, started living a new life over here. And that's been almost 25 years now, so it's, uh, I guess I must like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say Nuremberg is a big leap from Reading. Um, it is, yeah. And I suspect is. Nuremberg is, well, I'm not going to criticise Reading, but I'm sure Nuremberg is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Reading's really come on since I've been back a few times since I left. Back in the 80s, it was a bit of a dump, uh, but now it's, uh, it's got much better, so I quite enjoy visiting it these days. Okay, yeah. cool. So, um, I've given a brief description there of, of what you do based on your mm -hmm. bio and from what I know from having briefly spoken to you. Can you just elaborate sure. a bit more on what you do? Yeah, yeah sure. So... Um, as you said, my background is psychology and then marketing, which is not so far from psychology, I suppose, and then from marketing to developing products. Again, not such a big step. What does a customer want? How can we give it to them? Um, and then I did what I thought was a big reset when I came over to Germany, and I shifted into theatre. And I've been a professional actor, uh, director, and stand-up for about 20 years. Um, and then I look back on all these things, and I started thinking, well, this is really the same business. You know, psychology, product development, marketing, yeah. um, theater. It's all about... It's all about the handicraft of emotion. Yeah, how do I okay. how do I m help people feel a certain way? Yeah, whether it's by using words in a therapy session, whether it's using m metal and gasoline in a motorcycle, whatever it is. Yeah, um, it's all about what is the real practicality of making somebody feel a certain way, and crucially, how does a group of people work together to make that happen? Yeah? So how do I get my ensemble, how do I get my team uh, understanding what somebody is feeling and how they can influence that with the way they behave and what they create? Yeah, okay, and you use kind of improvisational theatre, so how does that feed into that mix? Because that's quite, it's quite, you're right, it's kind of, it's an eclectic blend of stuff, but it does <laughs> all feed back to, the, there is like a big Venn diagram, isn't there, with kind of... I believe so, yeah, I with, really with do. a big central thing. 
Yeah. So I would I would throw the net slightly wider and say I use theatrical techniques. Yes. Yeah. So some of it comes from improv, mm-hmm. um, and actually anyone who's been a jobbing actor knows that improv and stage acting from a script are not so far away. Yeah. There's lots of improv, lots of tryouts, lots of uncertainties, lots of egos, lots of worries in the rehearsal process, even if your words have been written down by Shakespeare for you. Mm-hmm. There's still much of the same process and many of the same challenges in the ensemble yeah. there that you'll get on an improv stage um, or in an innovation team in a, in a big company. Yeah. So what really interests me is, again, the practical side of making things happen. So a little bit of a story. When we first got my colleague Marcus Hormes and I have this company that we run, when we got our first gig many, many years ago, it was about working on the customer experience of a let's say a retail you know a place where you go in and you buy things yeah yeah um and how could we improve that how could we work on it you know and we're going into this into this uh task we've been given and we we said well marcus says to me how are we going to do this and i said well we rehearse it that's how you improve things you rehearse them yeah yeah um, so let's not rehearse a play. Let's not play through a, a purely open improv game, but let's take the process that we have in an organization, you know, how our customers greeted, how do I exchange a faulty item, how do I whatever, yeah, mm-hmm. and rehearse that and find a thousand ways to do it and give people in organizations the chance to actually try these things out. Because, of course, they get training, and often it's very good training. Um, and, of course, they have systems and processes which have been developed to make it possible to make somebody enjoy buying their shoes or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. often those things don't fit together very well. You know, it's like going into a into a play on stage with the text, with the script in your hand, sorry, and with the the training of an actor behind you but never having had a chance to put the two together right okay yeah yeah so we what we do is we is we rehearse things we rehearse processes so we might rehearse um an individual advisory session you come into let's say your tax advisor how do they greet you how do they talk to you um and very soon you find that hang on we want to actually change the script here. we want to change the process okay so that soon becomes deeper it becomes well what is what is say your tax advisor actually offering yeah okay. how do they want you to pay for it when do they want you to pay for it and we start to look at the whole service process the whole service value behind whatever it is you're buying and that might be anything from a postal system to a bank account uh, to a training offering uh, to a very simple thing like buying a bag of chips yeah? yeah but how can we work with a team of people to explore what's possible um, to explore what's what's desirable and also what's feasible and, and viable for the organization so you're trying to kind of create a scenario where there would be a series of potential outcomes, but you're not quite sure what those outcomes would be. That's right. That's right. So we approach it just like you would an improv scene. You yeah. might have, say, okay, this, these are the, uh, let's say the limits. Every improv game has its own rules, um, and, and it's those limits that make it so possible to, to yeah. be very creative. Yeah. Um, and we say, right, yeah, this is a shop we have. We can move that. We can't change this. This is legal. We can't move this. This we can play around with. Um, and then we say, what can we do? And we run it through a bunch of times, and then we see, hmm, okay, this feels interesting. This is a, a prototype of what of how it might be. And then we have to step back and think, well, how would we make that happen? 
if we are going to change our process in that way, if we are going to change even our offering in that way, yes. you know, what would that mean for the business? What would that mean for the way people work? Who else would it affect in the organization? Mm-hmm. And how can we roll this forward uh, using what we call a design process? So a process of iterative finding out what people want generating ideas about that and testing those ideas through prototyping into piloting into implementation and at the end of the day we hope staff that feel happier customers that feel happier um, and possibly uh, a a holistic uh, all-round happiness uh, for everyone involved but yeah i i remember seeing you give a give a talk and and when i saw you give the talk it was about the thing the, the word was iterative in terms of yeah. you have the process and you kind of throw the net wide and then you kind of get the results and then you throw the net wide again that's in terms right of in order to cut to because you don't know where you're going to be from stage a to stage exactly B. exactly this is another link between let's say innovation process yeah and what mm-hmm. i do i call it customer centric innovation where the customer is anybody i'm working with it could be the guy who buys my service could be my boss my colleague whatever yeah. but anyone else working for is my customer so customer centric innovation now many people outside the innovation field and actually a lot of traditionalists within companies think innovation is a very linear thing they believe in big ideas you have a million dollar idea yeah yeah and you must protect that idea nobody must know it and then when you've got that idea you do some planning and planning and more planning to try and take out the risk yeah? yeah, and then you've worked out exactly where to go, and you can roll this thing out, and you get your million dollars. Yeah, boom, that's done. Yeah, yeah. But this has never worked. This has not worked because the world has changed by the time you get there. So in modern innovation, we're not looking about one idea. We're looking about, first of all, before we have ideas, getting out and meeting the customer and understanding what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And we can't just ask them, what do you want? They don't know what they want. They don't know yeah. what's possible. Yeah. So we have to observe them and use all kinds of research techniques around that. Yeah. Now, that's a strange experience for someone going out for the first time to talk to their customers. So they might need some support there as well. Yeah. And we use improv games to prepare them for things like that. Mm-hmm. then when you've got that big chunk of information or maybe it's a little information about your customer you start generating ideas yeah. and again there are lots of improv techniques that really help you throw ideas out fast not be judgmental yes and things you know but sometimes we also have to yes but stuff we've got to say no we can't do that that's not legal yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're going to close that one down but what could it offer to us what other ideas does it give yeah. Then we come into the prototyping. We take those ideas and we try and we try and break them. We try everything we can to break those, and probably we break all our ideas. So we go back to the beginning again. But now we've got better questions, and you're right. going round yeah. and round this loop of understanding what's going on, generating ideas, testing them, getting better questions, generating ideas, testing them, getting better questions, and round and round and round. Now, for many people who come to us from organisations. This is a super unfamiliar way of working. I was yeah? just about to kind of query exactly. that because obviously exactly. it's like products and services. So if, for example, it was kind of, oh, we're going to make this bicycle. It's going to be the best bicycle in the world. Do they come to you and they're kind of like, we already know what we want? You know? Very often they do. Or, or 
actually a, a more usual situation is they come in and they say, we've got this, how do we sell it? Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, or more usually, we've got this thing and it's not quite rock and roll. Um, can you help us with some ideas? Yeah. And the first surprise we have for people is we say, no, ideas are not what you need. Ideas are easy. You yeah. need to understand the world you're selling into. You need to understand right. why someone wants a bicycle. And yes. if they couldn't be better served by a bus service or, uh, you know, and if that's, whether that's possible for that, that company or not. Um, and when you've got that, the ideas are easy. Yes. But the trouble with ideas is we love them too much. You know, we all love, yeah. we all think our own, own ideas are great. Yes. Um, yes. And Being so very precious with, exactly. I, I will have my input and you will have your input and then we'll, who, who's, who takes ownership of the idea and, exactly. and that exactly. kind of thing. And all the defending of your own ideas and fighting your own corner and so on. Yeah. So again, when we're generating ideas with with people in organisations, um, a lot of the things that we take from improv or from theatre are very good because you don't have ownership of the idea. It's been generated by the group, yes. and you've got a whole bunch of them. So if if you if you've got one idea and it dies, it's really really painful. Mm-hmm. especially because people associate their own value with the value of their ideas yes. unfortunately it's a really yes. na- there's some nasty psychology here around confirmation yeah bias. definitely definitely in terms yeah. of kind of like if someone outputs what's kind of this, this is my output and if you diss it it's kind of like they take this in me exactly but if you're you if you're in a more of a let's say improv like mindset yeah. where you are chucking out a bunch of ideas and you're you're banging them together um yeah. i forget the, the idea's name but uh one author calls that idea sex you know you, you let your ideas have sex with each other and see <laughs> right. what comes out of them yeah? right yeah um and then at some point one you're not sure whose idea belongs to who yeah and that's the best place to be in because then right. you can be a little bit objective about it mm-hmm. and secondly well you've got so many ideas if you lose a whole bunch of them what's the problem you've still got ideas that are still going yeah. So we turn those ideas into prototypes. We get very, very practical. We get up out of the out of our chairs. You know. Yeah. Um, this is another big, a big parallel between this way of working in in the way I see innovation developing right now, and and theatre is get up. Yeah. Just get up and try stuff. Yeah. So much of our culture. Um, and I mean not just in business, but in politics, in academia, uh, in, in, in religion, everyday life is about words. It's about people sitting and thinking and speaking. Yes. Yeah? Yes. But the world is not about sitting and thinking. The world is about getting up and getting your hands dirty. Yeah, so yeah. while reflection is a very valuable um, thing to do, it's also about, well, you know, you have idea A and I have opinion B. Everyone's got an idea or an opinion None of us can say my opinion's better than your opinion, so let's try these things out. Yeah? yeah. How can we make a little experiment to try this? And this is just like being on stage. You know, you, you, if you're in a, a rehearsal room rehearsing a play and this actor thinks it should be done that way and this actor thinks it should be done that way and the director's worried about this, at some point they say, look, let's get up and try it. Let's try your version, let's try my version and we'll see. And we try to bring this into business a lot. So people moving away from comparing opinions and doing much more testing prototypes, doing small experiments, trying things out. Okay, so are you saying then that you would, when you're working with a client, you would you would coax them to have vulnerability is not the right word, but just to have the kind of just just throw it out there, just be as honest as you can about what absolutely, you think. absolutely, you know. 
if, if we've got a whole bunch of ideas again, we can also launch a bunch of, of cheap experiments, you know. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite business authors, his name is, I'm not sure if he pronounced it the English way or the German way, so it's either, either Michael Schrag or Michael Schrage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's at MIT, uh, and he writes some great books about business experiments. And one of my favorite books by him has the subtitle, You Don't Need Good Ideas, You Need Cheap Experiments. Wow. And, and like what that. is theatre? What is improv? It's cheap experiments, isn't it? Yeah. Or yeah, you need, it is. or you need the people who are there. You get up, you try it. Yeah. You, you take the props you have. You imagine what you haven't got, and you see where it takes you. And when you start a scene, you don't know where the scene is going to end. And it's exactly the same with innovation. You know how long you've got. You know how much money you've got. You know what laws you can't break or what brand promises you must incorporate. Mm -hmm. But you don't know when you start a project where it will take you. And that's scary for people. And so as as well as using the techniques of improv to actually generate ideas, to test prototypes, to understand people uh, during research, we also use them to prepare teams um, to go into this kind of work, a, w- a world which is more uncertain, yeah, and to enjoy the uncertainty and to see the the, the potential within uncertainty. Yeah, because you, you, I'm, I'm, you know, from what you're saying, there is the potential in the 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 the, the boldness in terms of what yeah. you, a CEO can come to you and you're effectively, you know, they could hear even though what you're saying, I understand what you're saying, they might interpret that as we're going to break your idea. Yeah, sure, sure, you know. and and we are, <laughs> but because it, it's better that we break it now than it breaks in front of the board. Yes, or even worse that it breaks in front of the market. You know. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Just like in a theatrical rehearsal process, you do all the crazy stuff at the beginning, and if it goes horribly wrong, nobody knows. Just the guys in your rehearsal room know, yeah. and your rehearsal room is a safe space, you know, like a like a an improv training session. Yes. What goes wrong there, you keep it for yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's the same with innovation. What what goes wrong early in the innovation process is a win because it means you learned something and you learned it in a way that was that was cheap and early and not too visible. Um, it's yeah. much better to learn there than have a big expensive lesson later on when you're on the market. Yeah. Okay. Well, let, let's just kind of duck back down your timeline a little bit then, because sure. that's fascinating, and, and just and, and find the point at which you went. Okay, I'm going to put all these bits together, and this is the direction I'm going yeah. to push in. <laughs> Yeah, sure. It's kind of some of the things there. It's kind of like I can relate that to psychology. I can even relate yeah. it to to stand up in terms of the kind of the just getting up and, and doing it and that kind of yeah. like, you know the the boldness of that. Was there a point, a specific point, where you put these joined these dots together and, and yeah, brought I, you to that conclusion? I think there are two things that happened. Um, one of them was just getting majorly pissed off about things, you know, yeah. about saying dealing with organizations with companies with your airline with your hotel with your shoe shop whatever and saying this is really stupid you know this process you have here it sucks i don't that makes no sense to me as a customer and having a bit of a background in business being able to think well if you change these three things that wouldn't I wouldn't be miserable right now. I'd be happy right now as a customer. My colleague Marcus comes from process, so he's even better at that stuff. He'd say, well, you've got to do this, this, and that, and the thing flows smoothly. Mm -hmm. So there was a sort of general sort of, you know, angry young man sort of, (laughs) or not so young, I guess, uh, an angry man behind that. Um, Just being annoyed at how badly we're often treated by organizations. And the second thing was I, I was 
actually writing this was back in the in the mid 2000s back when blogs were hip okay. uh, and I, w- I was writing a blog um, about theatricality off stage yeah so where okay. do you see things that are theatrical when it's not on stage and it might be obvious stuff like the lighting in a shop or the or the costume that your doctor wears you know yeah. um, or it might be more subtle things like timing, like like dramatic arcs, uh, like status, like role, all the kind of things that you see on stage and, and in art yeah, or yeah. in showbiz. I can say. Yeah. And I'm writing this blog um, about this stuff and some very nice people popped up on the blog and left comments and got in contact with me. And they said, you should look into the fields of customer experience and the fields of what they call service design or design thinking. So it's the idea of, one, starting with customer needs uh, and then figuring out what the business has to do to give us what we want as customers. Okay. And two, what techniques do we have to work together as an organization, as a team, as an individual even, to experiment, find out, and shape that. Yeah. And that's that service design, design thinking world, which is a fascinating tool set. And there are quite a few people in that using techniques that come from improv, that come from theater, uh, even from music, uh, from jazz and stuff like this. So it's a bunch of people looking for cooperation forms uh, that they can go out and use. Now, one of the reasons that's crucial is um, if you go back a little bit in sort of design in the design world, maybe back to ten years or so. Okay. Yeah, if you yeah. go to go to someone and say, "Look, I want you to design me a new phone." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then what's probably going to happen? And this still happens in many organisations, and it certainly can work. It's not not a not a, a fatal thing to do. But what happens is that somebody very very smart will withdraw. They will withdraw from the world and then maybe go to a high tower on the coast, in my my imagination anyway, and they'll sit there and and they'll rage at the storm and get struck by lightning and have a brilliant idea. This this sounds so familiar. This sounds (laughs) incredibly familiar. I have a um, one of the one of the things I used to do before I did stand up, and I still do it. I do a little bit of design, um, and I recently was looking into like responsive website design and coding and stuff like that. So it's kind of like I'm aware of the design process in those terms, and the idea of locking someone away. You know, going someone giving you a brief and then being locked away to go and that's right. You know, yeah. Just continue. Yeah, Yeah. fascinating. And and this was the model and it can work that's why Apple do this it works really well for them you know but um, it's that idea of designing for somebody and now when we start talking about something as complex as a customer experience yeah Mm -hmm. that touches so many different parts of our organization yeah let's say I buy a pair of shoes okay now the shoes were probably designed by a design department or purchased by a purchasing department yes. I'm talking to a salesperson who's been trained been chosen by HR and trained by education they developed uh, he sells me the shoes using a sales system set up by the IT department there's a guarantee which the legal department have have approved there's a logistics chain behind him there's a retail organization that provides the environment that's happening in you know just buying that pair of shoes and dealing with 15 different parts of the organization. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. Now, if I'm going to design a better way of selling shoes or some other kind of foot experience, let's say, yeah, yeah. I need to incorporate all those people. 
because I cannot understand that all their worlds. Yeah. So we have a shift from designing for to designing with. Yes. Okay. So ideally, I have the legal guy, the retail guy, the the IT guy, the um, the packaging people, all these people, the training people in the room with me. Ideally, the customer as well. Mm-hmm. And then we co-create. And this needs some simple rules and a simple language so that we can understand each other. Otherwise, we're going to talk past each other the whole time. Yeah, and that could just turn into an absolute nightmare of everyone exactly. wanting to have their own opinion on something. Exactly. And so it again becomes an ensemble task. Each okay. of us has different specializations. Each has different skills. We may even have some divas in the room, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we want to work together in a way that's productive and, and positive for us all? Yeah. And this is, again, a place where you can draw from theater, from improv. But it's just the same sort of organizational challenges and the same personal challenges as well. Yeah, you I'm, see go- it I'm you... going to play devil's advocate and I'm going to interrupt yeah, sure. you and say, oh, if you're going to take all these info from different people, does that not mean you're compromising the integrity of the original vision? Well, what's your vision about? Yeah, this is always what I ask I people. Yeah. yeah, if If your vision is it needs to be purple... Yeah, okay. then I haven't got much time for your vision. If if your okay. vision is we really want to serve this group of people, yeah, mm-hmm. or we really want to to work in a way which is inspiring and 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 and, and productive and positive, then I'm into your vision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and. You're quite right. This shift that we see away from a sort of a linear approach to a more um, iterative, explorative, experimental approach is a big mind shift for people, mm-hmm. and and it even desi- it, it even needs a different kind of leadership. Yes. Yeah? yes. If you think about those images of leadership you have, you you see somebody sort of standing up on a rock, pointing, saying "This way." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're normally pointing at a target, and They've made a big decision, and now that decision is going to be made, and they're going to stick to their guns. And all these words around, you know, being determined and 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 being a decision maker, they're mm-hmm. all words that imply sort of status in our world and seniority. Yeah. And what we're saying now is, you can't point in which direction we're going to go yes. because we don't know where we're going to go. So how do you lead this? Mm-hmm. And so it becomes a huge challenge for, for, for people in leadership to say, well, I'm not going to set the direction. I'm going to set the dance steps to get there. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be where are we going to end up. We'll have goals, of course, and, and, and strategies and so on. But there are many ways up the mountain. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm going to be uh, encouraging and what I'm going to be inspiring people to do is a way of working. Not yeah. a particular endpoint. Yeah, yeah. You see it in Agile. If anyone knows anything about Agile software development, it's a fascinating. I mean, people, people start to fall asleep now. Start this, no, this, this was yeah. this was touched on um, in this series of improv before. In, there'll be a previous episode to you um, okay. where I'm talking to Neil Malarkey, and he touched oh, yes. on Agile development briefly, yes. but we haven't really totally gone into Agile development. But that's that's something that that I want to talk. To somebody about this. Cool. If you if you can elaborate a little bit more, on agile yeah, just in very brief that, terms. I'm no expert yeah. either, but the idea of uh, and, and this this started off in software development, but it's growing into all kinds of management areas now, or any yeah. kind of project work you can think about. Yeah. So let's think back a few years. How do you launch a big piece of software? Yeah. yeah. You basically say this is our goal. You have a big sort of 
fat book of this is what it must do. These are the tech specs. Like a Bible. Um, this is the requirements, yeah, like this. And you set up a huge team of people and you say, right, we need to be at this point in two years from now. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. and this this is called waterfall because it is like a waterfall of people, yeah? yeah, all rushing towards the edge, and then they tip over it, yeah. And if you're really really lucky, they all finish on the same time, and they're all they're all in step with each other. Yeah. For me, and this is a very miserable and depressing Does that metaphor. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot like first world war battle tactics. Right. You know. Right. You say, we've got a million men, we're going to march towards the enemy, and our determination will make them flee. Yeah? Yeah. And that's your plan. This costs hundreds of thousands of you know, our great-grandparents' lives. Yes. Um, and the trouble is, the world has changed by the time you get there. Right. So something like Agile, which is a new way of, uh, of development software and other things, um, one of the most famous versions is called Scrum, is a very different way of working. You don't have that big plan. You still have an end point in in sight, but it's possibly not described in such detail. Yeah? Yeah. And instead of trying to plan two years towards it, you might plan the next three weeks. And you say, right, here we are now. What's our target for the next three weeks? Yeah. And then you do what's called a sprint over those three weeks. Um, you have special people in the team whose job it is to to champion, if you like, the the customer. So yeah. it needs to do this or it's not going to be any use to us. You also have people who are championing the team, the programmers, saying, leave my guys alone. Let them work right now. Yeah, yeah let, them, let them generate what they, let them what they feel it. they need to be generating. Exactly. And then you have sort of daily, super fast, what's called stand-up meetings, literally stand-up meetings where you just talk about what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a very efficient, quick management style. Yeah. At the end of those three weeks, you reflect. You reflect on two things. You say, right, those three weeks of work, did they take us in the right direction? Yeah. And what do they tell us about the next three or four weeks, the next sprint? So but you, can you all... conclude from that. You can... Sorry, I'm interrupting you. You no, can on. conclude from that where you need to then take the next stage. That's right. Are we are we still on track? Are we developing an interesting new approach? Yeah. Do we want to wander off down that rabbit hole or should we pull back straight? Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. And the second thing that you reflect on, and I love this bit, is you reflect on how did we work together over the last three weeks? And do we want to keep working that way over the next sprint? Yeah. Okay. And I love this. I love this approach of... Um, short, intensive, focused work periods, then a reflection not only on the work itself, but how you did it. I was just about to say, that's the how, isn't it? Exactly. That exactly. is the how. You're quite right. You're absolutely right. And, and so you're not only working on your software project, you're also iterating your teamwork. You're developing yeah. your teamwork on a sort of three, four, five-week cycle, yeah. getting better and better. And, yeah. of course, some experiments don't work, and you reel them back. Yeah? Yeah. And some sprints turn out to be useless, and you reel them back. Yeah. Um, but you've, also, you've always got that knowledge you're building up of what's worked before, what hasn't worked before, and where it takes you. I think it's a fascinating way of working. Yeah, no, I'd heard about it, and I think I knew, I think I thought I knew what it was, but that's a really good explanation of it. Um, you should talk to a real specialist. This is this is my outsider view of it, but I'd, 
I think it's really thrilling. Part and parcel of the podcast is to look at this Venn diagram and then take a step backwards and look at the larger Venn diagram and, and just yeah. watch how all these things ultimately connect together in a kind of Mandelbrot. There's like, yes, I'm sure yes, there's a Mandelbrot yes, somewhere. Yeah, the... It's got ev- everything in it, up yes, to a point. <laughs> it has. It's like, well, it's infinite branches, isn't it? And yeah, you decide, and you decide which ones you follow up. Yeah. yeah. I want to touch on, you do this global service jam. Yeah. What's the Global Service Jam? Can you just tell <laughs> us a bit about that? Yeah, so the Global Service Jam, what I want you to imagine is a room full of people. Maybe there's 30, 40 people in this room. Yeah. Some are just 10, some are 150, but most around that sort of size. And they're in a space uh, with, str- with strangers, yeah? So 20 or 30 strangers in this room. Yeah. And they come together on Friday evening, and they get a challenge, yeah, okay. some some phrase or word or image or sound which may surprise them. And okay. that's supposed to be their starting point. And then they have about 48 hours to think about that, play around with it, turn it into some first interesting questions or ideas, go out and research people's needs out on the street, start generating ide- ideas, start building prototypes, forming teams, switching teams. But at the end of 48 hours, they're supposed to upload documentation of a new interactive functioning prototype of a new service. Yeah. Okay. So they might develop a new app. They might develop a new way of teaching somebody something. They might develop a new exchange platform. It can be anything. Yeah. Okay. And they're doing that in this room. And at the same time, all over the planet, there are about a hundred similar rooms in different countries. Wow. With people working on the same theme they're working on. So although they're out of sync because of the different time zones, so the guys in New Zealand are, you know, are asleep, but the guys in, in Berlin are working really, really hard. And the guys in New York just waking up. Yeah. Although they're out of sync on that, they're still they're skyping, they're they're linking up, they're saying, "What are you guys doing? What do you think of the challenge? What have you found hard? What techniques have you tried?" So it's like a giant sort of hackathon um, yeah. or creativity session yeah. around services, mm-hmm. um, and it's really a learning event. You know, at the end of this, those 100 cities, so let's say. 4,000 people, something like that. I was going to well, ask how many people. Yeah, 4,000. Yeah, about wow. that. It, it depends. Yeah. It, it's hard to see exactly because not everyone goes online and, and puts their name down. Yeah. They still join in. Yeah. Um, but those people upload maybe five, 600 new service prototypes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And most of them have forgotten. You know, they right. they they never become anything, which is absolutely fine because we call it a jam session. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and you is. don't go to a jam session if you're at the Irish pub or down the jazz studio. You know, you don't go to a jam session to record an album. And that's what a studio is for. You go to a jam session to get better and to challenge yourself and to mm-hmm. see if you can keep up and to see what possible new collaborators you might find. Yeah. You know? So at the end of this. There are some great new prototypes. There's a big pile of really awful prototypes, which is fine. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a, lot of, a bunch of people with new tools, new methods, new contacts, and often a sort of a new mindset Yeah. yeah. because they've tried that way of working, which feels like improv. They've tried that way of working of saying, I can throw myself into this. Mm-hmm. I can yes and it for a while because I can yes but it later. Yeah. Um, I can bring myself in. I put myself in danger because my team will save my backside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a different way of working. And 
people come out of it with really invigorated. Of course, some guys just hate it, which is fine. Yeah. yeah. But lots and lots of people say, I want to work this way tomorrow back at the office. And we say, well, go for it. You know, why not take that approach? Um, those tools, those methods, and especially that mindset into what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I was just about to say it's the mindset of how you do that. It's kind of like that, that kind of the, the risk taking, but the stakes sure. are low. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Low risk, low stake risk taking. And this is the, the unfamiliar thing, you know, in organizations. Because of that leadership model we talked about, mm-hmm. there was a big decision and then big money was set on something. Yeah, the stakes are yeah. always incredibly That's high. That's right. So now we're saying, well, we're probably going to spend the same amount of money, but let's spend it on lots of little experiments. So the stakes are always low in each one. Mm-hmm. You know? And that lets us be more honest about each one and not push things on which really should be stopped. Yeah, because that that's happened again and again. You get too far into a into a project, and it's too expensive to go back. Now, how how does that happen? That's just crazy. Yeah, you you have to be flexible enough and 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 cheap and dirty enough. I mean, dirty in, in the sense of in the sense of getting your hands dirty, in the sense of being rough and sketchy at the beginning. Yeah. That you can at any point say, "No, we'll stop this one because we have these other ones which are also interesting." Yeah, and outside of the work, you've got the people, and you'll also be dealing with things like ego and pride and stuff like that. I'm absolutely, sure room, absolutely, you know? and politics, politics, politics. You know, mm. I mean, I, I work for a great organisation when I used to be a, a corporate guy, um, but even there, I saw times where really great projects or really great initiatives or let's say ideas mm. got shot down because of where they came from. Yeah. I've yeah. seen that. I've seen and that. I find that so soul crushing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. For, you know, for people who are on the, who are supposed to be on the same team, and I say it was a great organization, um, most of the time it was it was nothing like that. But when it happens it's 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 absolutely tragic. And that often was linked to a sort of feeling of loss of power and gain of power. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I can um, I can totally see that. I can yeah. see that in my previous experience working with stuff. Um, so just drawing some of the parallels to what you've previously said, because um, sure. I've, I've literally just redone my, I've I've done the the, the Bring a Brick podcast website and my own website, and like mm. this this shift over to responsive design, um, where everything moves about and it's all mm. there's no nothing stays there's no such thing as two pixels to the left anymore. <laughs> everything is kind of like that. You're not designing for a size or a shape or dimensions. It's it's the the content is like liquid. Yeah. And the the content moves and the content shifts around, and I'm sure there's a there's a there's a metaphor there for the for a, even though it's the service industry that you're in, the, absolutely, the, the, actual, the, the content needs to move. Content needs it does, to shift. It does. And you, you know what you discover when you go into a room with with twenty guys who work in a in a retail environment, you know, no. and often these people are quite young and they they want to do their job for a year and a half, two years, and move on. You know, it's not, not a big investment for them. They're going to be selling, I don't know, shoes or phones or something like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What you discover when you go into a room with, with 20 of these guys, one, they're usually super smart, yeah? even mm-hmm. if they don't express themselves in the same way. Um, some are more verbal, some are more, some are more kinetic, whatever it is, or kinesthetic rather. Yeah. Um, but you will discover that whatever you develop – Whatever you say, hey, this this could be a way of approaching this problem. This could be a way of dealing with this kind of customer. You'll discover, John, that what works for you doesn't work for me. Right. And what works for this guy doesn't work for this girl or this guy or this lady or whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because a difference of physicality, of ethnicity, of background, or just just a tone of voice. Yeah. 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 And so you discover 
that whatever we're asking our people to do, you know, whatever script that we set up yeah. for our processes, our offerings, and the way we deal with, let's say, customers, yeah. we have to leave flexibility in that. Yeah. We have to leave enough space for people to be themselves because, you know, we've all heard that welcome to Company X, have a nice day sort of mm-hmm. scripts that have been pushed onto people. And it yeah. might not just be the words they say. It could be the way they have to – the process they have to go through, you know. Um, if you give people space within that, you get a much better – let's call it a performance yes, out of that. Yes, 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 And it's just like theater. It's a crazy thing to think about it, but – you know, going out there and doing Hamlet is an interpretive act. There's there's a script, there's a director, there's an ensemble and an actor. Yeah, yes. and those four work together. And the reason and the and the script stays the same every time. Yeah, but you could have a, a Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet with everyone, everyone in tights. You know, and it's yeah, wonderful, yeah. Uh, set in in period costumes in in. Uh, Verona, yeah? yeah, or you could have a Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet with with machine guns and and sports cars and set yeah, in a sort of a yeah. South American Verona, and they're the same totally. script, yeah. But you've got a different director's vision, uh, a different ensemble creativity, and you've got a different actor in the role, yeah. And that works exactly the same in your in your in your shoe shop. You know, it, it sounds totally crazy, but it does. You've got a a process they have to follow. You've got actors, you've got people who are there. And if they feel themselves in a straitjacket, they're gonna leave after eighteen months. Yeah? yeah. Your company's gonna invest lots of them. And more's the point, when I go in there and buy my shoes, I'm gonna have a pretty crappy experience with that. Mm-hmm. But if I can t- can show that guy, look, this process you've got just like an actor who looks at his script for Romeo and Juliet is this script I've got. Yeah. It's not a straitjacket. It's a scaffold I can build on. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I can climb up this thing. I can fill it with my own color. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, can, I can rock. I can be myself. You know? yeah. I often confuse people because I go around wearing a suit all the time and I'm an adjunct professor at this business school and I teach that school and so on. And I go in and talk about rock and roll to people. Right. You know? yeah. um, but... Why not? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom it, Peters is one of my favourite um, business authors. He's very provocative, but he says, you know, all these metrics and so on—they're really, really good. It's good to measure what you're doing and so on. But if it's rock and roll, you can smell it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a massive fan of metaphors. If you can find a <laughs> solid metaphor that works, use it. You know, I, I have loads of metaphors that I pull out for various different things. There I you interrogate, go. I always interrogate them just to make sure it can be accurate to the given situation. Um, and it's, it's always a nice way to grease the wheels of communication. It is, got, it is. And people know what you mean, you know. And rock and roll is different things to different people, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, what 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 is Adam Lawrence up to at the minute? What what kind of what what, you, what what have you got on? Well, right now we're very busy uh, with a couple of big clients, so we're trying we're helping to try them to change the way they work together, um, which is a really exciting thing. Working with thousands of people around Europe, um, but I guess the thing which I'm staring at right now, hang on the wall of my office, is the book that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, there are four authors involved in this plus around 50 case study authors plus around 200 contributors so it's a very complicated book sounds like a Um, heavy book (laughs) it is yes and uh we absolutely promised to bring it out in june last year we haven't got there yet so 
Um, we're getting very close to that stage now, um, but it's been published by O'Reilly, uh, and it's I think oh, yeah. going to be very very useful. Yeah. And it's about what I've been talking about: the world I work I inhabit is usually called service design. So how do people work together to produce service value? Mm-hmm. Um, and the book is called "This Is Service Design Doing." Brilliant. Uh, and right now we're just sort of trying to s- fit the words into the layout um, to make sure it makes sense uh, to people reading it now. Doesn't get too thick or too thin, uh, and is is worth people spending a couple of quid on. Cool. There, there's been loads of learning stuff here. It's kind of part of the reason I do the podcast is to learn stuff and just kind of share and connect. And there's a whole host of interesting and new stuff that's come up. Adam, it's workplace experience. That's the company, yes, and the Global Service Jam is our non-profit event. That's cool. All those notes will be in the footer. Adam Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, John. It's been great talking to you, and you've given me some things to think about as well. Good. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Facebook page. The website, bringabrinkpodcast.com, has detailed show notes for all the guests with links to them and their work. If you want to contact me, John Cooper, get in touch and I'll do my best to answer your questions or point you in the right direction. There is a Patreon page where you can help fund the production of the show. If you're enjoying what you're listening to and want to become a Patreon, please click on the link on the website homepage. Contributions go towards website hosting, the time it takes to produce the show, it takes ages, and allows me to work on new content that's hopefully valuable, entertaining and informative. Contributions are based on every new episode released. Personally, I believe that good production values are key to getting more exposure, so everything is greatly received. Just think of it like you're buying me a coffee, and I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>